This is The Writer's Voice, new fiction from The New Yorker. I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor at The New Yorker. On this episode of The Writer's Voice, we'll hear Claire Sustanovich read her story, You Tell Me, from the August 1, 2022 issue of the magazine. Sustanovich was named a 5 Under 35 honoree by the National Book Foundation in 2022. Her debut story collection, Objects of Desire, which came out last year, was a finalist for the Penn Robert W. Bingham Prize. Now here's Claire Sustanovich. You Tell Me. When her daughter's husband called, Janet was in the parking lot of a store that sold everything. Electronics and linens and huge plastic buckets of snacks. She was there to replace her TV remote, even though she didn't watch much TV. Now that she was old, older, as young people said circumspectly, she had less tolerance for obsolescence. It was unpleasant to be reminded of her own. In her confusion at what her son-in-law was telling her, she pointed the remote at the old blue sedan, pressing play to lock the doors. She hasn't been herself, Danny said. Mortified, Janet buried the remote in her purse. She found her keys and made the car click, then beep. Danny and Sasha had been married for less than a year, and Janet, who had no objection to their union in particular, was not yet used to the idea in the abstract. Her child was someone's wife. Janet herself had not been anyone's wife for almost a decade, since Sasha's father died. He hadn't been old, but he hadn't been young either. It wasn't clear whether he had reached the age at which you could say he lived a full life. The symptoms Danny was explaining were textbook. Excessive crying, loss of appetite, feelings of hopelessness. Like Sasha, Danny was the kind of person who trusted textbooks, a good student. Sasha couldn't sleep or else she slept all day. She was rarely hungry unless, in a burst of energy, she baked an elaborate cake. The good news was that on most days she still went to work. The bad news was that fear, her boss, her deadlines, the phone that she kept under the pillow, buzzing with middle-of-the-night emergencies, was the one thing that got her out of bed. When Danny finished speaking, Janet nodded for a while, long enough that he asked if she was still there. I'm still here. If she didn't say, how terrible, would he think she didn't feel terrible? The parking lot was mostly empty, which suddenly seemed menacing. It was a grid of bright lines that told you where you belonged. She had done a bad parking job. The car slanted into its spot, black tires on top of white paint. Let me think, she said. Danny didn't say about what. As usual, he was patient and kind. When Janet hung up, it occurred to her that she should have offered some reassurance. She should have at least said something like, it'll be okay. She hurried diagonally across the lot, crossing one line after another. Was it going to be okay? At the entrance of the store, she turned around and beeped the car once more, just to be sure. She thought it sounded sad, which was a ridiculous thing to think. She pressed the button again and again, until several shoppers glared at her, and the sound was just a sound again. Inside, all the employees were teenagers. Janet liked teenagers, partly because most people didn't. Why was it a bad thing to have an attitude? Besides, kids were good with electronics. Janet approached one of them, an acne girl with hair dyed orange, and showed her the remote. Wow, the girl said, this is really old. She glanced nervously at Janet. I mean, it's vintage. When Sasha was a teenager, she too had been eager to please. This wasn't necessarily a bad thing, and the alternative was almost certainly worse. Janet had heard horror stories about rehab centers, 
wilderness camps that came and collected your kid in the middle of the night. Still, it left a lot to chance. You can't say yes to everyone, Janet had told Sasha. Or had she only thought about telling her? Janet was always thinking of good advice too late. You're right, she said to the girl, forgiving her. The girl smiled, and it was a pretty smile. Sasha had always been pretty. A blessing and a curse, Janet thought, but never said out loud. Now Sasha was a lawyer. This wasn't a passion, which she said wasn't the point. What she wanted was a purpose. Privately, Janet had hoped that Sasha might be swept up in a cause. She'd seen a movie about a small-town lawyer battling an evil power plant. But something in her had proved not sweepable. Janet followed the teenager down an aisle full of plastic devices and plastic packages. A middle-aged man standing in front of the display of remotes lifted one of them and pointed it straight at the girl's chest, closing one eye as if taking careful aim. She stopped in her tracks. The man laughed. The game is at eight, he said, lowering his weapon. I need this by eight. The girl composed herself. Of course, she said. There were lots of interesting things to do with a law degree. Sasha did not want an interesting life, but first she wanted a stable life. She used this word, stability, so often that Janet couldn't help wondering what it really meant. Had her own life been too precarious? Her husband had never had a career exactly, but he'd almost always had a job. She'd never gone back to work after having kids, but hardly any of the women she knew had. Things might have been shaky now and then, but she was pretty sure they had never come close to collapse. After her honeymoon, Sasha had started a job at a big firm in New York. The office was full of men in expensive suits and women armored with tight smiles and mean reputations. They all wore a light touch of makeup under their eyes. You weren't expected to sleep much, but you were expected to look like you did. Once the man had selected a remote, he hurried away without thanking the girl and without looking at Janet. She had heard women her age complain about this, never turning heads, never getting even a sideways glance. But for Janet, it had come as a relief. Men who locked eyes had only ever locked her in. She wanted to tell these women to rejoice. The keys are yours. Come and go as you please. In the end, Janet picked a new remote that looked nothing like the old one because novelty was hard to come by. She headed toward the cash registers, then paused and turned back to face the girl. Maybe it's true that the customer is always right, Janet said. But out there, she gestured toward the automatic doors where a young woman was struggling to push a cart with a faulty wheel. Out there, you get to be the customer. Janet always woke up between 3 and 4 a.m. The predictability of this insulted her. Were her problems really so routine? Many of her friends had sleep troubles of their own, which they liked to discuss. I can relate, they said to one another. But Janet didn't want to relate. When she thought of them in the night, all those old women, tossing and turning, worrying, waiting, keeping watch, pretending there was something that needed watching. She had a simple, terrible thought. I hate my life. Eventually, she'd fall back asleep, and when she woke up in the morning, the thought was absurd. Of course she liked her life. She always had. The room was flooded with light. The blanket had fallen onto the floor. The sheets were tangled as if two people had slept in the bed. As a child, Sasha had been a bad sleeper, couldn't fall asleep or couldn't stay asleep, called out to Janet or slipped into bed beside her. Above all, she had needed to unburden her dreams. Every morning she had recited them, not as a dramatic performance, but as a kind of confession. When she was finished, she had always seemed relieved. It was the same with any secret, her own or someone else's. She couldn't bear to be its sole custodian, 
which might have been another way of saying that she couldn't bear to be alone. At some point, she started sleeping soundly, and at some point after that, the dreams and the secrets dried up. Janet was never sure why. Maybe Sasha had learned to keep things to herself, or maybe she had learned not to acquire anything too difficult to contain. Shortly after the clock turned from 3.59 to 4, Janet's older daughter, Rachel, texted her. The usual text, are you awake? Rachel lived in Berlin, and with the time difference, Janet's insomnia had certain advantages. They didn't talk often, but when they did, it was in the middle of the night. She called Rachel without turning on the light. The wind was blowing loudly on the other end of the line. Rachel liked to talk when she was in between things or in between places, though she never said what things or which places. She instructed Janet to buy a ticket to New York. I can't believe I have to tell you this. Janet said nothing, staring into the familiar dark. And don't act like I've injured you. I'm not injured. Rachel took a deep breath. So you'll go? Of course it had occurred to her. But when Janet imagined comforting Sasha, she pictured her as a child. Warm cheeks, skinned knees, wounded eyes. Was comfort even what she wanted? Janet had heard certain parents refer to their adult children. This made no sense. Sasha was simply an adult. She was tall and salaried, and her eyes, less green than they used to be, were often impassive. She had a husband who knew languages written in numbers. Code. I'll go. Janet arrived in New York in the afternoon. Sasha was at the office. Danny, who worked from home, was wearing slippers and typing standing up. He took off his headphones to hug her. Danny's job was building the internet. Some programmers were self-taught, but he had been trained in school. He'd taken all the advanced theoretical courses, and now he knew much more than he needed to. He told Janet that he didn't mind the extra knowledge, like the instructional manual you keep in the glove compartment and never actually consult. It made him feel safe. At 7 o'clock, Danny served pasta and salad. There was only seltzer in the fridge, he explained, because alcohol was a depressant. They started eating without Sasha, who always came home late. Are you depressed too, Janet asked. Danny smiled sadly. I'm all right. When Sasha opened the door, Janet's mouth was full. Sasha was thin, but the kind of thin that would win her compliments. She let herself be embraced. She sat down at the table, and Janet accepted a second helping of pasta, even though she wasn't hungry. She wanted to model a good appetite. Sasha was forbidden to talk about the details of her latest case. This didn't, she assured Janet, mean that it was an exciting case. When there were big companies involved, even the boring stuff was confidential. Boring enough that I'm barely tempted to reveal it. A silver lining, Danny said. Janet tilted the salad bowl to see if anything was left. A few leaves of spinach clung to the metal sides, shrunken and glistening. She slept in a small room off the kitchen. With the couch pulled out, the door couldn't close. That night, she woke up in the dark and turned to check the clock. For the first time in months, she had slept past 4 a.m. The sun was about to come up and Sasha was moving around the apartment, the light still off. Janet watched her through the doorway, pouring coffee, checking her phone, smoothing her already smooth skirt, checking her phone again. It glowed in her hand. Her neck was always bent. When Sasha left, Janet vowed not to fall back asleep, in solidarity or at least sympathy, but somehow she did. Danny scrambled eggs for her. The secret was low heat and patience. Who else knows, she asked. He looked startled. Knows what? The egg slipped down Janet's throat. You know, she said, her despair. 
Oh, he seemed relieved. He said there were a few friends Sasha confided in and also a therapist. An analyst? It's called a talk therapist. When he saw that Janet didn't understand, he explained. She appreciated this. He was a good explainer. They just talk, face to face, no couch involved. He took the plates to the sink, where the frying pan was already soaking, and would soon be effortlessly scraped clean. Like a friend, except the whole point is that you don't know them. But they know you. Danny nodded and scrubbed. He went back to his computer. He was wearing headphones again, so she mouthed by on her way out the door. She sat for a long time on a bench in a nearby park. There was no grass at the park. There was a concrete basketball court and a concrete water fountain and a sandbox with concrete structures that didn't look especially safe to climb. She was alone until noon when two women arrived with strollers. They deposited their babies on the hard ground, and while they steered fistfuls of sand away from the children's mouths, they asked each other questions. Except they weren't questions, they were commands. Tell me about your job, one said, and tell me about your marriage, the other said. The first, a woman with cropped hair and round, bug-like glasses, had recently filed a complaint with HR. What they can't wrap their head around, she said, moving a sharp stick out of her child's reach, is that a female boss could be abusive. The second woman, who wore spandex leggings and a puffy coat, nodded sympathetically. Luckily, she was her own boss now. When it was her turn, she reported that her husband's treatment had been a success, but their sex life hadn't yet returned. And maybe it never will. Ever since they'd married, the woman continued, she had in some way been waiting for this, the moment when the passion fell away. Old people and advice columnists had assured her that this was normal. Her friend reached out and touched her arm. There's no such thing as, I know, the woman said. Janet must have stood up too abruptly because they stopped talking and looked at her. She expected them to look embarrassed. She knew so much about their lives. But it wasn't shame on their faces, and it might have been pity. With strangers, it often was. She left the park in a hurry. Danny was doing push-ups when she returned. She tried to imagine saying it. And tell me about your marriage. She drank a whole glass of water in two long gulps, the cold spreading through her chest. On the second morning, Janet woke up even later than the first. Bright light, the sound of oil popping and hissing in the kitchen. Immediately, she panicked. She had missed Sasha. She had slept too soundly. Like a baby, she thought. An expression that contained an accusation. She was supposed to be the mother. Danny was sautéing garlic when Janet emerged from her room, hair and teeth unbrushed. He saw her face and said, don't worry, she's still here. The garlic smell was too much, too early. Or, you know, do worry. Every few weeks, he explained, the deadlines receded and the crises paused, and Sasha had a normal day at the office. Yesterday had been one of those days, the worst kind. Ordinary tasks, minor decisions, enough time to eat lunch. She didn't have to work late, but she stayed up anyway, checking her phone for messages that weren't there. In the morning, she was unable to move. Blank inbox, blank stare. I must be missing something, was all she could say. She was still in bed. Danny took her an omelet, but she didn't need it. At noon, Janet knocked on her door. Come in, Sasha said politely. Janet sat on the edge of the mattress. There were two phones on the bedside table, and Sasha picked up one of them. She tapped a passcode on its surface, swiped, tapped again. I've refreshed the page a hundred times, she said. What do I think is going to change? 
She sounded bitter, but the bitterness was reassuring. It was better than politeness. Sasha buried the phone under her blanket where she couldn't see it. In the silence that followed, Janet considered the question. Change. It had happened to her, of course. She'd grown up. She'd grown old. She'd stopped eating meat. She'd started again. Everything except lamb. She could measure it in the weight of her television, lighter, or if her body, heavier, in the speed of the news, faster, or if her thoughts, slower. Supposedly, change was a good thing, a gradual unfolding, a natural unveiling. But from the edge of her daughter's bed, her daughter's face, the same pretty face, the same sad face, no matter what age, it seemed to Janet that she had seen it all coming, that nothing had ever arrived with the force and beauty of surprise. The most dramatic changes in her life had been preceded by months of preparation. Before she was married, she was engaged. Before she was a mother, she was pregnant. Before she was a widow, she was sitting in a hospital for months on end. She could still hear the squeaking of shoes in the linoleum hallways, which made all the doctors sound like schoolchildren. Sometimes she had closed her eyes and let herself imagine that they were just playing, running back and forth, machines beeping, people shouting, as if it were all a game. And maybe it was. The second phone pinged from the bedside table. Sasha leaned over to see the screen. Whatever she saw, she ignored, but the sound seemed to give her a jolt. Did you sleep okay? She asked to Janet, her voice full of sudden solicitude. It was the voice of a good host, a dependable employee, a dutiful daughter. I slept well, Janet said, probably too well. Danny had made his half of the bed. Janet could have stretched out there, could have rested her head where his had been. The older I get, the more boring my dreams become, she said. She sounded angrier than she'd intended, but the anger felt good. If I watch the news before bed, I dream about the president's press secretary. If I take the recycling out before bed, I dream about the neighbor who puts his wine bottles in my bin. Her hand was resting on the mound that she guessed was Sasha's knee. There's nothing worth interpreting. Sasha shifted her legs. Janet removed her hand. Sorry. There was an awkward silence. My dreams used to be like soap operas, Janet continued eventually. I looked forward to them the way you'd look forward to a TV show. Even the bad ones? Janet tried to remember. These days, the bad ones are the best ones. I'm naked in front of a crowd, and I wake up with my heart racing. Sasha grimaced. She pulled the blanket up to her chin. Janet couldn't think what to say next. She wondered what Sasha's nightmares were about. It had been years since she'd known. Maybe she was afraid of being chased or getting lost. Maybe she dreamed of drowning. Maybe she lost all her teeth and woke up with her hand over her mouth. The teeth meant something, about money, about love. But Janet couldn't remember what. Underneath the blanket, something made a noise. The shape of Sasha's hand moved toward the shape of her phone. Without thinking, with a single elegant gesture, Janet pulled the blanket off her daughter as if she were a magician performing a trick. She knew it would appear, but it startled her anyway. The pink pajamas, the skinny legs, the tight grip on the phone, as if someone were about to snatch it away. And she might have, if she hadn't seen the look on her daughter's face, the look of a child who was about to be betrayed. A crisis summoned Sasha to the office in the afternoon. Her transformation happened within minutes. Suddenly, she was upright. She was earring and high-heeled, the muscles in her jaw flexed. After that, the rhythm of their days resumed. Janet woke up in the dark and Sasha moved around in the dark, with nothing to separate them except the door that couldn't be closed. 
On the fourth morning, a Friday, Rachel called while Janet was out for a walk. She didn't have any destination in mind. So, Rachel said expectantly. In the background, Janet could hear what sounded like a coffee machine gurgling or a pot of water nearing a boil. She's talking to a therapist. Of course. Janet crossed the street to avoid the concrete park. She isn't talking to me, Janet said. Rachel made a sound that might have meant anything, interest, indifference. Janet reached a corner where a line of people had formed in front of a small, crowded restaurant. A young woman was holding a brown paper bag through a takeout window and calling someone's name. Rachel? Rachel? What? Rachel said on the phone. Janet laughed. Not you. She joined the line. She didn't know what the restaurant sold. She wasn't even hungry. But it sounded nice to stop and wait. Look, Rachel said. But the only thing Janet was looking at was the backs of the people standing in front of her. A man and a woman around the same age as she was. A gentle hump at the base of his neck. A thick gray braid hanging down her back. Sasha has never known enough interesting people. Ahead of Janet, the man turned to whisper something to the woman. She leaned toward him and his lips brushed her ear. When you're a kid, everyone always asks what you want to be when you grow up. They tell you to dream big, shoot for the stars, etc. Rachel's voice was loud and unpleasant. But Sasha didn't. Now she has all these plans, but no desires. How long had the couple known each other? Decades? Days? They were old, but their romance might still be new. Janet wished, with a sudden alarming intensity, that she knew what the man was saying. Is it really too late? Janet asked. You tell me. The woman at the window was waving another bag in the air, grease spots blooming through the paper. Without thinking, Janet stepped out of line. Me, she said, in response to whatever name the woman was calling. That's me. Who are you talking to? Rachel asked. Janet didn't respond. She reached out and grabbed the bag, and for a second, she and the woman were both holding it. Janet let herself imagine that their hands were reversed, that she was the one giving, not receiving, that she was the one calling out each name and listening for each answer. Then the woman let go. The bag was heavier than Janet had expected. She said goodbye to Rachel. She hurried away, holding the warm bag against her chest. And it was only blocks later, Sasha's apartment coming into view, that she thought to check what was inside. The weekend came and Sasha didn't get up. The apartment had become unbearably familiar to Janet, as if she had been there for years and not days. The silence was broken only by inhuman sounds, the ding of text messages arriving, the whoosh of emails departing, the hollow beat that meant the speaker and the phone were connected. Janet looked back and forth between the two devices, which appeared unchanged. She went to her room, but she couldn't avoid the sounds. She could still hear the old-fashioned bleeding of a rotary phone, which Danny had selected as his ringtone. Had he ever even seen a rotary phone? He came into the hallway, halfway between Sasha and Janet, where he could speak to both of them, even though he couldn't see either of them. His boss was giving away tickets to a baseball game. If they left right now, they could make it in time. Incredible seats, Danny said. There was silence. You'll feel like you're right there on the field, he said, right there in the action. At last, Janet heard her daughter's voice. Okay. At the stadium, everyone was talking and many people were shouting. There were TVs looming above every concession stand so that you never had to miss a moment of the game. Even in the bathroom, you could hear the announcer's unrelenting report. The noise invigorated Janet, but Danny and Sasha didn't say a word. 
He filled out a scorecard. She scrolled on her phone. Janet had never known the rules of baseball, and her incomprehension put her on edge. The crowd's cheers and boos were stage directions for a scene she didn't belong in. Without warning, people leaped to their feet. She jumped up to join them, a stranger's triumphant voice in her ear, someone's shoulder bumping hers, everyone assuming she was one of the fans, one of them. It was thrilling, but it was frightening, too. Between innings, the big screen above center field showed fans in various states of ecstasy. There must have been a camera scanning the crowd, maybe more than one, but Janet couldn't find it. Each time a new set of fans appeared on the screen, it took a second or two for them to realize what had happened. Someone nearby, half in the frame, would point and shout. The moment of recognition was also a moment of transportation. You're not down here, you're up there. This was considered an achievement, of course. But in the instant before the pleasure appeared on their faces, Janet thought she saw something more like pain. Halfway through the game, Janet announced that she was going to get a drink. The home team was down by a single run, and there was a frantic, helpless energy in the crowd. It was a raw deal to care so much about something you couldn't control, and Janet pitied the fans. Sasha looked up from her phone, alarmed. You're going by yourself? Janet bristled, then laughed. I think I'm old enough. Sasha looked wounded, which wasn't fair. Wasn't Janet the one who'd been hurt? You can come with me, she said, trying to sound conciliatory. But it was too late. Sasha shook her head. The lines at all the bars were long and unruly. It had been years since Janet had drunk a beer. Her rule was never to drink alone, and she was often alone. So the craving surprised her. She wanted the taste of nostalgia, a weedy memory of some unremarkable day, her hand turning a cold bottle warm. She walked in search of a gap in the crowds, and then she walked some more. She paused in front of an ice cream stand, where a woman waited with a small boy in a too-big hat. He started eating the cone as soon as it was in his hand. What do you say? his mother asked. The boy looked up, ashamed, and Janet hurried away before she had to hear him recite his lines. By the time she got her drink, she was lost. She tried retracing her steps, looking for a familiar landmark, but nothing was recognizable. Where was the ice cream stand? At last, her drink half drunk, her head vague with its unfamiliar or just unremembered effects, it occurred to her to go back to the stands where the diamond could be her guide. The scene as she returned to it was at once unbearably ugly and breathtakingly beautiful. There was trash all over the ground, plastic and paper and trampled french fries. But the field itself was a perfect green, so much bigger and clearer than it could ever be on TV. And the people, they were grotesque up close, sweaty and full of misplaced passion, receded and combined into a sea, swaying and glittering just like the real sea. Then Janet looked up and it was Sasha's face, huge and oblivious, that loomed on the screen above. Danny's shoulder was there too and briefly his ear. Sasha was staring vacantly ahead, the kind of gaze that can be called inward or distant. An anonymous hand touched her arm, and then awareness broke across her face. A broken face. Her daughter's face. But Sasha didn't bother reassembling it. She looked straight at the invisible camera and slowly raised her middle finger. Janet was surprised to discover that she had begun to cry. For an instant, the fans held their breath, and then the camera quickly cut away. The game resumed. Thank you.
That was Claire Sestanovich reading her story, You Tell Me. This is her third story in the magazine. You can hear more New Yorker fiction read by the authors on newyorker.com and on the New Yorker apps available from the App Store or from Google Play. On the New Yorker Fiction Podcast, we invite writers to choose stories from the magazine's archives to read and discuss. This month, Akhil Sharma reads Zombie by Joyce Carol Oates. You can subscribe to that and other New Yorker podcasts by searching for The New Yorker in your podcast app. Tell us what you thought of this podcast by rating and reviewing The Writer's Voice in Apple Podcasts. The Writer's Voice is produced by Michelle Moses. I'm Deborah Treisman. Thanks for listening.